First Timothy chapter six, and our text will be verses seventeen through twenty-one. Seventeen through twenty-one. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. The living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up verse 19 for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Verse 20. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed from concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Our Father, we pray for your grace and for your blessing and help as we study the Scriptures. We pray for your blessing upon it read and the instruction, the preaching of it. I pray for your spirit to rest upon me and upon your people. Again, cause us to hear your word. We pray for your spirit to give us understanding and for the work of your spirit to work in our hearts to believe. We ask this in the great name of Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The the Apostle Paul is drawing this first letter to Timothy to a close this morning. We have been taking in week after week the instruction of Christ's Apostle. These instructions from Paul to Timothy have been weighty and very practical, very practical for the life of the local church. There's been much here through these six chapters concerning church leadership and the structure, the structure of the local church concerning uh, officers, elders and deacons. And there's been much here concerning the importance of healthy or orthodox or sound doctrine and teaching. Along the way, I I hope and pray that you've noticed along the way that we've learned that the Bible sets forth uh, a, a biblical and proper order for the life of the church. While we do not have every detail, we have the basic structure of church life in the New Testament We find it here in 1 Timothy, and you'll find it in the other letters. And so we've learned much here. And much as we've said that this letter has helped in a way that it it functions much like a uh, a manual for church order. You remember that? Have we talked about that? You remember those central words in this letter back in chapter 3? They became like the center point of this book. It's in... Chapter 3, 1 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. Verse 15. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And it's that pillar and the ground of the truth, the the life of the church and its practice and its faith is this good deposit, this word, this that has been given to Timothy, that he is to guard that which has been committed to him. Apostolic doctrine, the truth of God's word. And so in this morning, we close this letter, listen closely, with words of responsibility 
Words of responsibility for this young pastor, this young delegate of the the apostle uh, Paul, that is Timothy, his responsibility. And from that springs the responsibility of every generation of elders, because these are the good words that he's to raise up and pass on to other men in congregations. And so the elders of our church, we are to take heed to Paul's words to Timothy. And we have a great responsibility here for church leadership. And then there is a responsibility for all of us. Uh, this The closing of the letter, grace be with you. In some of the manuscripts, the you is not just singular to Timothy, it's in the plural. As we would say in the South, y'all. As if Paul anticipated that this letter would be read to the congregation. And that's what they did in the early church and what we do to this day. And so it's not only a word to the, the, the leadership of the church, the elders, the deacons, to Timothy, but it is a word for the people of God, to the church. And so we're all responsible, listen, to act accordingly to what we have learned and heard. Now in these final words, in these final words, what's interesting, he closes, and by the way, because of time's sake, we don't have time to wrap that up at the end. I just want to mention, he ends, he opened this letter abruptly without the typical Pauline greeting and he ends abruptly with a greeting and this ending, this this benediction, this blessing, grace be with you all, amen. And the only other time Paul does this, there's only one other letter. It's Galatians. He seems that in both these letters, the Galatians, which were, they were dealing with heresy and false teachers, the same thing at Ephesus and 1 Timothy. It's as if Paul sees the urgency of the matter and writing these letters that he immediately leaps into the letter and closes quickly. And so we have something like that here. But he ends this morning, he, he closes the letter with with two central, I call them two central imperatives, two, two central commands. And they concern, listen to this, they concern treasures. Treasures. One has to do with earthly treasure, and one has to do with a heavenly treasure. And they both, though, have to do with laying a foundation. They all have to do with what is coming in the age of the world to come, and how we will respond appropriately to these treasures that have been set before us here. These are both treasures that by the grace of God and the providence of God that we have received from God. Now the key words here, the, 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 the two uh, central commands, uh, the first one's found in verse 17, it's the word, it's the word command or charge, as you find in some of your Bibles. Again, we have this military command or charge. Some of your Bibles may even say the word urge. It's a command or charge to the rich, to the wealthy of the church. And understand this. It, it is often pastors are, are, are very meek about... Um, well, normal pastors, let me say this, uh, whatever that means, uh, are, are rather meek and shy about pressing home about issues of finances and money. Um, but here we have a word for the apostle, from the apostle to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, command those who are rich. In other words, he's giving him instructions with very strong language about what to teach the wealthy of the congregation. Like, wow. The other charge and central command that we have here is found in verse 20. That was in verse 17. Command, 
charge. Verse 20, we have the word guard or keep. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. And it's these, these two commands, they revolve around two treasures, two great riches. One is an earthly treasure, one is a heavenly treasure. And as God's people, as God's people, whether as a minister of the gospel, of someone who has been blessed with inheriting or accumulating wealth, as God's people, we are called in both these cases, in these two treasures that are found in our passage, we are to exercise godly stewardship concerning these riches. To be a steward, to be a steward is to, to manage another person's affairs, another person's property, finances. And all Christians, listen, all Christians have a stewardship. All of you, if you have embraced Christ by faith, if you've received His name upon you in baptism, you have been given a stewardship. When we come to faith in Christ, we begin to understand and see with spiritual eyesight that God is the sovereign. He's, he's the God that, that Paul has just spoken about in the previous verses. You remember? When he will manifest his own at his own time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign or potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, verse 16, who alone has immortality, dwelling in the unapproachable light, whom no man can see, or has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. When we come to faith in Christ, when we begin to understand, when we begin to see with spiritual eyesight that God is the sovereign one. God is the creator of all things. He's the owner of all things. We begin to realize that all that we possess has been given to us as a gift. And it's on a temporary basis. Even our breath. We breathe it in and then it's out again. It's a gift on a temporary basis. Our money, our home, our health, our children, friendships, vocation, our gifts given by God. Listen, in this present age. That's the language Paul uses. In this present age or world. But the point here is God is the owner of everything. Of everything. Listen to the psalmist. In Psalm 24.1. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's. And all of its fullness. The world. And those who dwell therein. So again. God is the title holder of all things. And we are to, as God's people, we are to exercise faithful and wise stewardship concerning the things that He has temporarily placed in our hands. J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle says this in his, uh, in his exposition uh, on the book of Matthew. Ryle writes this. Quote, anything, anything whereby we may glorify God, he says, is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our, our knowledge, our health, our struggle, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible. All, all are talents. And then he asked a question. Whence came these things? What hand bestowed them? Why are we what we are? 
Why are we not the worms? Worms that crawl on the earth. There's only one answer to these things. And he says this. All that we have is alone from God. We are God's stewards, he says. We are God's debtors. And then he says, let this sink deeply into our hearts. If if you've ever had to close up the house of a person that you knew well, close up their house, that they have passed away, and they left all these possessions behind, a house full of material possessions. And you were given the responsibility to close up that house, to pack up all the items, to weigh through things that need to be thrown away, things that maybe could be given away, things that you may keep or sell. You realize how these things are all temporary and passing of this age. If you've ever had to do that, it's a shocking moment when you start. As you start going through someone you loved and you knew you're going through their most intimate and personal possessions and divvying it out. It sinks in how temporal all this life and the things of this life are. Realize, they will do that to you. They will go through your most intimate of items when you're gone. And divide it up, throw things away, and give things away. The kind of thought that the apostle is going to place on us this morning is that there is this present age, this present world, but he wants us to understand that we are here now, but we are to be heavenly minded. We're to set our mind on things above. We are to notice the language there. Verse 17, this present age, verse 19, for the time to come, for the time to come. He'll speak of this age to come, this time to come, that we are to be otherworldly in the way of our thinking. Thinking of eternal and heavenly things as we are good stewards of the things that we have now. Now let's begin. In in verse 17, in verse 17, here Paul will remind Timothy that as a faithful minister of the gospel, as a representative of the apostle, he is to instruct the wealthy of the congregation to have a godly attitude toward wealth and to live to live with a Christ-like, with Christ-like virtue. And so we have a command. Actually, there's a series of commands, but he begins with a command. Commands for the rich in verses 17 and 19. This is the first treasure that we find here. It's in 17 and 19, and it has to do with earthly wealth, earthly treasures. Command, verse 17, those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Again, command those, charge those, those who are rich, those who are wealthy in this present age. And notice he's, what he's doing here, he's, he's establishing the setting The command is addressed to the the rich or the wealthy of this present age. The individuals of of the Ephesian church have local churches who have more than they need. More than they need in this present age. Food, clothing, shelter. And these are those that are rich or wealthy. They have beyond that. 
when he meet, when he says present age, understand this. And, and maybe sometime we'll talk about this more in the way of understanding the Bible at this age and the age to come is how it will divide it up. At those, those in this age, this has to do with, think of this, this present creation. This age is from creation to consummation, to the, to the second advent of Christ. From creation and then the fall and everything leading to the second advent of Jesus Christ. New heavens, new earth. That's this age. This present created order. And we are to understand that this present age is passing away. That's why he'll speak of verse nine, in verse 19 that we are to understand that this age is passing away for there is, verse 19, a time that is to come. You see that? There's a time coming. A new. Something new. And he connects, notice this in verse 19, this time to come. This is the eternal state. The age to come. The point is that Timothy, Timothy is to constantly remind God's people... He's con- he is to constantly remind God's people that this world, this age is temporary and we will all pass from this world to the next. From this passing age to an everlasting age. And we will g- all give an account. And notice how Paul connects in verse, notice verse 19. For the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You see the connection from the time to come is connected with what? Eternal life. Now, verse 17 again. Notice as he begins to unfold a series of uh, these commands that are related to these instructions related to this command those who are rich in verse 17. And there's, he begins with the negative. Think of the negative side of this. This, in verse 17, we have what you might, this is the negative side. These, these are like what we've seen in previous, uh, the previous section concerning the teachings of Paul. These are the dangers. The dangers, the sins to avoid. And what are they? What are the dangers or the sins to avoid? We see them in verse 17. There are one. As he commands those who are rich in this present age, the first one he says, the first one is not to be haughty. It's literally high-minded to think highly of oneself. And this is the danger of conceit or pride. And there is a danger. There is a danger that, that comes with wealth, isn't there? When wealth has come our way. The, da- the danger is, is that we will begin to believe, listen church, we begin to believe that we're self-made men and women. We take, uh, you remember that thick sola that our elder Sneed came up with? Sola bootstrapus? <laughs> we begin to take that to heart. And because we practice solo bootstrapus, we are self-made people. And we begin to think, I have much, others have little, and they have not, those others who have little, have not arrived to my position because they're not as wise, they're not as smart, they are not as hardworking as I am. That's what happens. Now, there are those that have inherited wealth. There are those that may be having very little work themselves up the economic ladder. Those who are rich, though, are to understand that yes, they may have acted or done certain things and worked up the economic ladder. However, 
they are to understand that ultimately, ultimately, it was God and his providence that brought about the current situation of their life and wealth. Paul's point here is there's, there's really no place for pride. There's no place for pride, haughtiness, high-mindedness. The other thing he says here, the, the other danger is, is not only that we would become prideful or conceited and believe that we are self-made people and that somehow we've accomplished this out of our own doing rather than saying, I labored, but God was under it all. God was the one who has provided and done these things. By the way, it reminds me of um, years ago, my family knows who I'm talking about. He's no longer with us. This was a man who came from lowly conditions. He built a business. Uh, and one of the, he was a member of our church. One of the men that was employed by him was a member of our church. Um, they were in the logging industry. He logged when they used mules. And by later in life, he had a he had trucks and a, the whole the whole outfit, big money. And one of the men of our church was excited that he was he he was a driver. He was given a new truck, a new truck. And so after church on Sunday, he drove down to where this man had all his business on property on the back side of his of where his house was at, and. This man drove down there to see his new truck and he was opening it up. And the man who owned the business came down there and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I was just getting my, my truck ready, my new truck ready for tomorrow. I'm excited about it. And he said, brother, today is the Lord's day. And God gave me this. You go home and I'll see you at church tonight. You can get your truck ready tomorrow. You see how he understood things? He realized what he had came from God. The second thing that Paul says here is not only pride and conceit and the danger of that. And realizing that God has given us these things and this has come together because of providence. But he, he warns, he tells Timothy to warn the rich not to trust in uncertain riches. Do you see that? Do not be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Trusting in uncertain riches. That's the other danger. Danger. There is a this danger that we are to avoid is that we must avoid trusting in our riches, trusting in your bank account, trusting in your retirement account, and trusting in the resources of the, the federal government. This is easy to do, and we can believe it. And, and there's a kind of unconscious uh, security or ease in our minds because of the size of a bank account. However, Paul writes here that riches are uncertain. And anyone that deals with money knows the uncertainty of that. Your wealth can be lost in a day. The stock market can climb and it can crash. I don't know what it is. But this has been a pattern I've noticed now with this many years of pastoring. If, by God's kindness and providence, He has blessed you and given you much. Given you much. Don't talk about it. Don't tell me about it or others about it. I don't know what it is, but through the years... 
I've seen people in church life begin to, in a subtle way, brag about their accumulation of wealth and their security in it and how they did it. And for some reason, I don't know if it was because they were a child of God and there was some pride there, but I've watched one by one, God takes it away. They will have accumulated substantial resources and they begin to brag about it. And this is how uncertain it is. Then a child who's unruly or gets into trouble, they begin to have to dole out money for lawyers and for costs to to help their child. It just drains it. Or they have wealth that seems to be a large pool of money and they get sick. You want to watch financial resources drain quickly? End up in a end up in a in a, a end up with some kind of sickness that costs a wealth amount of money, a huge amount of money, in places to stay. It will drain three million dollars. Will go like that. It's uncertain. Your trust cannot be there. You can have it today; can be gone tomorrow. All your wealth spent on. Let me say this. Money is never to be the source of security for God's people. Money is only a means. It's only a means. Notice what he says. Do not trust. Do not trust. And uncertain riches. But in what? In the living God. There's security. In the living God. And notice what he says. And it's not that God is being cruel to us or that God doesn't like to bless his people. No, notice what he says. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So he he wants to be clear that when we do have wealth, we do have riches. He's given us these things as a good and kind gift. He is the good God. He's not calling for everyone that's wealthy just to get rid of all your riches and live in poverty. No, but be a good steward of those things. Here, when he speaks of, but our trust is in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. This is in contrast to what he's already said previously in chapter 6 here in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And that's the dangers we're seeing here. Let me, let me move on to some other points here. Verse 18. If those are the negatives, don't be prideful. Don't put your trust in uncertain riches. But trust in God, the living God, who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Enjoy. It's okay to enjoy nice things. Verse 18. The apostle commands those, he commands us, those who are rich, what to do. This is the positive side of the teaching. And so in verses 18 and 19, there are, there are virtues here to obey. Look at verse 18. So what are the rich to do? Let them do good. Do good. That, that they be rich in good works. Like our Heavenly Father... Who, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Uh, the, the, those that have resources beyond and above what they need, they should be able to do, they are to do good and to be rich in good works. And not only are they to be rich in these good works, but notice what he says. How is this, how are these good works, this doing good, this good works to be displayed? By ready, verse 18, by ready to give. 
willing to share. That is, you're to understand that these things have come your way by the the providence of God. He has placed them in your hands and you are to be generous and ready to share, willing to share. In the context of this, of of 1 Timothy and and in the Bible in general, it is to those of the people of God in need and to the work of the kingdom, the life of the church, the, the spreading of the gospel to the nations. These commands should remind us of the words of our Lord Jesus. They seem to be echoing that when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust steals, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, for there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Calvin commenting on these verses, Calvin says this. He says, quote, There cannot be a sure rule, nor a stronger exhortation to the observation of it, than that we that when we are taught that all the endowments which we possess are divine deposits entrusted to us for the very purpose of being distributed for the good of our neighbor. End quote. So quick application here. Five five of the surrounding counties of DC are five of the are in the top ten richest counties in the country. Probably all of us fall in the category of wealthy and rich according to the apostle. So, this morning as we hear the Apostle's command to Timothy of how he's to teach, as we're hearing this morning, in your heart this morning, cry out to God and ask God, God, Father, teach me. Teach me not to trust in riches of this passing world. May my faith grow and be strong and I rest and trust in the living God, not in the passing treasures and pleasures and riches of this passing world, but teach me to intensify in my faith in you, my trust in you. And secondly, because there is a security with wealth, in our riches, it's, it, it can be hard to let go. So, teach us to trust in you, God, and not and rest in you, not in my riches. But secondly, let's ask God to give us generous hearts, giving hearts to those in need and to kingdom work. Amen? Amen. Let's ask God to help us to release, to let go. Not to be foolish, but to be wise. And to give with a generous and giving heart to those in need and to kingdom purposes. So God, give me a generous heart. All right. That's the first treasure. It's an earthly treasure. And yet, this this earthly treasure, notice what he says in verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Again, stewardship. What we do with what we have now and how we respond, how we act accordingly to it, our stewardship of it, has has an effect for the world to come. It lays a foundation. Where our hearts have been changed, our understanding has been renewed, it gives evidence 
And it shows that we have laid hold of eternal life. That's where our mind is at ultimately. Now number two, beginning in verse 20. There's now this, this second treasure that's spoken of in our passage. In verse 20, and he does this by secondly giving a command now to Timothy. There's a command to Timothy and to church leadership and to the church body at Ephesus and for future generations. He begins with this expression, verse 20, 20 O Timothy, that O that he adds there, that's a, that's a sign of affection. He's, he, O Timothy. And then he uses the second imperative here, guard. Guard what was committed to your trust. Guard or keep. The idea is this, this deposit, this something that, Timothy has been given that he's to be to show a stewardship over as a minister of the gospel that he is to guard what has been committed to his trust. Guard the the deposit that he's been entrusted with. And what is that? As we've seen through the letter, it is that which is set in contrast to the false teachers. It is the sacred truth. The truth. In our present setting, it's this. It's this. The sacred truth, apostolic truth, orthodox, sound, healthy teaching rather than the heterodoxy, the unorthodox teaching of the false teachers. And what is Timothy to do? He's to keep it. He's to guard it. He's to protect it. He's been entrusted with this deposit. He's been given a stewardship over it. That's why the elders of the church are to doctrinally guard the life of the church. He know he says that he is to guard or to keep what was committed to him. But again, there's something now to avoid. Avoiding. Avoiding the profane. The idle babblings. And contradictions. Of what is falsely called knowledge. He just strings together words to describe the false teachers and their doctrine. It's profane. It's not godly. It's not truth. But it's like idle babblings. It's full of contradictions. And what's interesting, he he uses a word here, he says, which is falsely called knowledge. Gnosis. But we derive the word Gnosticism problem there's some debate here about uh, how much Gnosticism this Gnostic teaching was in the early church many believe that it's by the end of the second century before it begins to really formulate but it does appear that uh, forms of it early forms of it were were even here we have an example here we we have it not only here but I was this reading and studying this led me down the rabbit hole of Looking at Ignatius of Antioch this week, one of the early church fathers who died. Uh, there's some debate uh, somewhere between 108 and 140. Eusebius says 108, so he was he was within that apostolic period, and he he writes about this. Uh, in fact, when he at one part writes about the doctrine by which we were saved, it sounds much like the Nicene Creed that we confessed here today, the Apostles' Creed also. But he talks about. Those that will deny the resurrection, that Christ came in the flesh. And he goes in great detail talking about how Jesus in his body was nailed to the cross. Because in some of these early heresies, they were denying that Christ was God in flesh. He was like a phantom type being. But he rose from the dead in flesh. Again, this seems to be some of Paul's point in in this letter but he his point here is that Timothy 
The Ephesian church, the elders, are to avoid, to reject the false teachers and their false doctrine. Now let me just string things together here as we we saw this in the the way of truth that we saw in this this letter. But listen to this. In chapter 1, in chapter 1 verse 3, you remember? Let me just read it to you. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul wrote, As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which cause disputes, rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And then again in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, verse 18, verse 18, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies, prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare having faith and a good conscience which some have rejected concerning the faith have shipwrecked of some verse 20 are Hymenius and Alexander whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme and then chapter 4 verse 13 till I come give attention to reading to exhortation to doctrine do not neglect the gift that's in you which was given to you by the prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership verse 15 meditate on these things give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all verse 16 take heed to yourself and to the doctrine that is the apostolic doctrine continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you the chapter 6 verse 13 i urge you in the sight of god who gives life to all things and before christ jesus who's witnessed the good confession before pontius pilate and there's that that foundation that confession there that jesus christ and and that you keep verse 14 this commandment without spot blameless until our lord jesus christ Appearing from what we see here in first Timothy and then also in second Timothy is very clear that what he's speaking about, that that deposit, that heavenly treasure that he is to guard and to protect is the truth, the apostolic truth, the word of God, that which would build up the church rather than tear it down like the false teachers. And so again. In the way of application, I and my fellow elders and the church body together, we are to guard and protect the eternal treasure of God's truth that he's given us. So again, things to cry out to as we come to the close of this letter. God, teach me. Teach me. To be a faithful and wise defender of your truth and proclaimer of it. Hmm. In closing... Central to this truth that Timothy was to guard and protect and proclaim. Central to that which the rich of this passing world are to shift their their desires, their pleasures, their resting and trusting in those passing pleasures. It is in God, the triune God of the scriptures. And in the Son who gave himself for his people. Again, listen to the language that Paul has been giving to Timothy. And without controversy, 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Hear the language. God was manifested in the flesh. You see his emphasis? In the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen by angels. Preached among the nations of the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up in glory. Again, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who, as Paul would close this letter and says, And grace be with you. Chorus. Grace. The unmerited favor and blessing of God to be with you. And it's this grace. This grace that has been given. And the act of his son, his 
his benevolent demeanor toward us, where he has given his son for sinners like us and the death of his son. We hear this language here as Paul would write in chapter one, verse 14. And the grace, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus And then Paul says that statement we're all familiar with. This is a faithful and worthy saying, worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Whom Paul says he was chief. There we find. It's a treasure because there is no life in this age. But in the age to come. Where there is eternal life in the Son. As we close these words and are reminded of of the importance of stewardship of the things that God has given us. As we see the great gift of the Son toward us and this great treasure. We come to the table this morning and we're reminded of this. That He has come to us in His Son. In the promise of the new covenant. In the death of His Son. the, The giving of His life. The shedding of His blood which is represented in the bread and the wine. It becomes for us a treasure that we eat and drink. And we eat and drink because it becomes a meal of something that sustains us. Not this world. It's just a little piece of bread, a little wine. It sustains us for what this symbolizes for life to come, everlasting life. And so we come and we eat and drink As those that love the Lord Jesus. And we eat and drink. Realizing here lies the salvation of our souls in the person of the Son. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, Warrenton, Virginia. If you live in Northern Virginia, please join us for worship this Sunday. For more information, please visit us online at covenantrbc.org.